Test, 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 test. What's weird is that's not even working. Oh, is it? You can hear it here, though. Try it again. Hello? 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 Nope. Hello? So what I am wondering is where this is coming from on here, because it's coming through right here. It is? Okay. Try it again. Hello? 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 Test. It's not coming through there still. Hello? Hello? Yeah, it's, it's showing up on there, but it's not on here. That's weird.
Good morning. And welcome those who are first. If you're watching online, I encourage you to pull out a candle and light it at home to represent God's presence with you in the same way that God is present with us as we've gathered together in Jesus' name. Today we're continuing our series, Trick Questions in Jesus' Enduring Answers, and I invite you now to join in the responsive sharing of our call to worship. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the time God has given us. This is the life to which God calls us. Let us worship God. Let's stand and pray and sing together as we sing the hymn of praise. Rejoice. Be pure in heart. We ask your spirit to come and be among us. We're thankful for the inspiration that it provides. We're thankful for the beautiful sunshine. It reminds us that life will go on and the seasons will return. Help us to live as your special people, to claim our, our hope in heaven, and allow that to cause us to live better lives in this earth, knowing that our future is guaranteed. This is our hope on this day as we Sing your praises as we hear your word and as we fellowship together through Christ who is our Lord. 
Amen. You may be seated. Hello, I'm Bonnie Zickraff with the pastoral care team here at Noblesville First United Methodist Church. And today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 38, which read, Some Sadducees, who deny that there's a resurrection, came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a widow but no children... The brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first man married a woman and then died childless. The second and then the third brother married her. Eventually all seven married her and they all died without leaving any children. Finally, the woman died too. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? All seven were married to her. Jesus said to them, people who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to participate in that age, that is, in the age of the resurrection from the dead, won't marry, nor will they be given in marriage. They can no longer die because they are like angels and are God's children since they share in the resurrection. Even Moses demonstrated that the dead are raised. In the passage about the burning bush, when he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. To him, they are all alive. We are thankful to God for the gift of scripture. Amen. Bonnie, I recommend you don't take up the game of poker. I don't <laughs> think you'd be very good. Well, today we share the second of our four messages on trick questions and Jesus' enduring answers. Last week, the Herodians and, this, and the uh, Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up by asking him a question about the Jewish law, whether it was lawful to pay taxes or not. And Jesus was able to sidestep that attempt to trip him up, and he gave us all something to think about when he said, Give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, and to God that which belongs to God. Next week's question is going to be an attempt to trick Jesus by asking if the Torah law allows a man to divorce his wife. Today, we're going to experience an attempt to discredit Jesus by the Sadducees as they come up with a riddle they think even Jesus cannot solve. Well, last Saturday, I was at the funeral for a member of our, the grandmother, member of our congregation. This person was a prominent leader for the civil rights movement in Indianapolis. She was a servant leader that was a big part of the hundred black men of Indianapolis, and also one of the originators of Black Expo. As a matter of fact, she was a, such a reputation that when President George Bush came into town, she was on his itinerary. She was present on the tarmac when he came off of Air Force One. Well, in the funeral, there was a great emphasis on how much this person 
was looking forward to heaven. And she desired it greatly. She also, they also described how sometimes in her last days, it almost seemed like she had one foot in heaven and one foot still on earth. And sometimes she'd make statements that just seemed like she was seeing something beyond this earth which is something that I've experienced myself in many times in my ministry, of people who seem to be in those last stages, and they see something beyond what we see in this life. But one of the things about that funeral I enjoyed the most was this is a family that had many pastors in it, and so they all had a spot to, to speak. And one of those pastors came up from Houston, Texas, and he made a statement to describe what this life had meant to him and to this world, and he actually quoted Oliver Wendell Holmes, a famous 19th century physician, poet, and humorist, who once said, sometimes people are so heavenly minded, they are of no earthly good. Well, that statement did not describe this person, because she used her belief in heaven, not as an escape from this world, but as the encouragement to take on the powers of this world and challenge them sometimes when it was necessary. Because of her belief in resurrection, she impacted hundreds of lives throughout her lifetime. And her legacy was so apparent by the people that showed up, the many people who showed up, and the stories that were shared about her life. And I believe that is what is at stake here in this question raised by the Sadducees. They produce this hypothetical situation in the hopes that they can make Jesus look silly. And Jesus' answer ends up turning the tables on the Sadducees to the point they're speechless and afraid to ask Jesus anything else. Now, it's important for us to realize that this question doesn't seem to sound that confrontational. It almost sounds like a, a friendly theological debate about this hypothetical situation. But if you're going to appreciate what's really going on here, I need to tell you a little bit about the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a religious faction that welded significant political and societal power. They were the Jewish aristocrats of their day. They were known for their wealth. They were also known for their corruption. In Jesus' time, the Sadducees controlled two of the most important institutions in Jewish society, the Jerusalem Temple and also the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a governing body that covered both religious and legal disputes, and they answered them like a judge. The leader of the Sanhedrin was a high priest who had king-like authority, and they were almost always a Sadducee. They usually came from the people who were Sadducees. Good example is that we have named in our New Testament in Matthew 26 and in Acts 4, Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas are both named in the execution of Jesus. And the Sadducees believe they're rather unique. They put special emphasis on the first five books of the Torah law. They put so much emphasis. If it wasn't in there, they didn't pay any attention to it. They didn't believe in the oral law or oral tradition. They didn't believe so much in the prophets. They focused on those first five books, and if it wasn't in there, then it wasn't true. And a good example of that is you don't find any mention of the afterlife in the Torah. So they simply don't believe in it. They believe that since there was no mention, there's no afterlife, and that also meant that God played no meaningful role 
in people's day-to-day lives. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in God's hands somehow involved in our personal lives. They didn't believe in angels or heaven or hell or resurrection. To their way of thinking, our souls died with our bodies at the end of life. Now, it's easy to be cynical about the Sadducees because their number one priority was ritual purity. And it just so happens that because they maintained the order of the Jerusalem temple, because they required purity in the animals that were sacrificed, and they also happened to collect the, the temple tax, and it had to be collected with a certain coin, they benefited from both of those things. It's also logical to believe that the Sadducees had the most to do with Jesus because he was put to death just not long after in that last week of his life when he went into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. As a matter of fact, you can read Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 18. I won't read the entire passage, but if you read through that where it describes that episode of Jesus overturning the tables, it says the chief priest and legal experts heard this and tried to find a way to destroy them. And just a few days later, Jesus would be arrested and he'd be tried and he'd be put on a cross. So Jesus was definitely a threat to the Sadducees and Jesus also had great contempt for them. They're called a brood of vipers in the scriptures. There was no love loss between either of those two people in this conversation. So when you read this and and you stop and ask, what does this mean for us? I've got a few thoughts. And my first thought is to ask ourselves, do our lives in any way resemble the Sadducees? Because they had no belief in the afterlife, they had no sense of accountability. They had no one to answer to when their life is complete. They literally live by the code of grab everything they can in this life. And they use their religion for their own personal gain. Now, I think you can find people in this world that do have a strong moral code, who may not believe in afterlife, but I've found in my life it's incredibly motivating to know that what I do has eternal significance. It's not just about what I do here, but something translates to the next life. See, in the Christian view of the world, there's going to be a judgment day. And it's hard to know exactly what that looks like, but the Apostle Paul and the third chapter of 1 Corinthians offers a pretty interesting description of what that looks like. Let, let me read it to you. I laid a foundation like a wise master builder according to God's grace that was given to me, but someone else is building on top of it. Each person needs to pay attention to the way they build on it. So whether someone builds on top of the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, grass, or hay... Each one's work will be clearly shown. The day will make it clear because it will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. And if anyone's work survives, they will get a reward. But if anyone's work goes up in flames, they'll lose it. However, they themselves will be saved as if they had gone through a fire. You know, it's interesting. I invite you to read all of Paul's letters. And you'll find nowhere in any of his letters does he mention any kind of a hell of eternal flames. The only image he talks about is perishing. Somehow things simply cease to exist. 
But instead offers this idea of the judgment day, this refining fire, this thing that tests what we are. But notice that it's not our works that get us to heaven. It says in verse 15 very carefully, however, they themselves will be saved as if they've gone through a fire. So it's by the grace of God we get to heaven, but anything that gets there with us of our lives is the stuff that is enduring, the stuff that really matters. That means every true act of God, every effort that is inspired by genuine love, every selfless deed will survive that fire and go with you into heaven. There's a reward, but that's not why we do these things. We do them for the love of Christ, for what Christ has already done for us, which is also one of those things that will survive the fire. Faithful living is inspired by our love for Christ, who first loved us. Well, the Sadducees, they didn't have that concept. Their philosophy of life and the result of that was a life that was known for corruption and extraordinary efforts to maintain their position in this life. There's another image given in the New Testament that Jesus offered that kind of reinforces that idea I just shared with you. You'll find it in John chapter 14. Jesus shares this with the disciples. We're going to have to come to grips with him being arrested and then put on a cross. And Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. So there's this classic story that's been told over and over again. You've probably heard it. It's about a man who dies and he goes to heaven and he meets St. Peter at the pearly gates. And Peter starts showing him around what heaven looks like. And there's mansions after many mansions. And he's looking at those in great awe. And then they come to the end of the street. And there's this measly little shack. And he says, here's where you get to stay in heaven. And the man throws a fit and goes, we got all these mansions around here. And this is what I have to live in? And Peter says, well, this is the best we could do with what you sent up. It matters what we do in this life. A second thought that hits me when reading this exchange between the Sadducees and Jesus is that the Sadducees were so limited by their entrenched understanding of what heaven could be. The best riddle they could come up with is basically seeing heaven as a glorified expression of married life here on earth. Now, as you can imagine, I spend a lot of time in funeral homes, and I listen to a lot of people talk about death, And they share all these ideas of what their loved one is now doing when they're in heaven. If they love to fish, that means they get to fish all day. If they like laying on the beach, they get to be right by the ocean all day. Whatever it is, name it. That's what they get to do all the time. I remember a parishioner that was in my student charge many years ago at Marion, Ohio. Warren Zachman, matter of fact, was his name. And I remember he had this running joke going on in our Sunday school class. It would pop up often. And he'd say, if they don't have sex in heaven, I'm not going. (laughs) Much to the embarrassment of his wife. Well, you can actually Google that, and you'll find there is a theological debate about whether there's sex in heaven or not. Now, I don't know if there's sex in heaven or not. That's not what I'm going to weigh on today. But I do believe there's a need for all of us to have a higher concept of what the life in heaven is going to look like. It's more than just our favorite things on earth. It's so much more. 
You know, our scriptures talk about heaven over a thousand times. There's always that promise of the goodness of heaven. And you'll find that most of the descriptions we have are very limited or they're highly symbolic. The best one I can come up with is in the 21st chapter of Revelation. And I I just want to invite you right now to close your eyes and let me just read this passage to you. It's so poetic and I think it, just close your eyes, let your mind imagine what this looks like. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, All is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will freely give water from the life-giving spring. Those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be their God, and they will be my sons and daughters. Amen. I think that's such a beautiful passage. And think about it. I don't have time to break it completely down, but just think about some of the stuff it suggests to us. It says there's no more sea. And we need to understand that the Israelites hated the water. They never had a navy in all their history. They were land lovers. And so for them, the sea was full of chaos. That's where there were evil serpents. And so they tell us that heaven will have no sea. And our relationship with God is described as being as close as a newlywed couple. So there'll be no more isolation, no more loneliness. And there'll be constant companionship. So there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sadness because there's no death, nor pain. And there'll never be this thirst for meaning, this desperate search. Because there'll be a life-giving spring that gives us that meaning always and every day. And there'll be no one that's fatherless or without a mother, for God will be that parent. All of us will literally be God's children each and every day. And there's so much more we can say about the symbolism of heaven and the Bible, but I just leave this with you to think about letting heaven be so much more, to know it's a reality beyond anything we can comprehend or describe. And finally... Let's return to our scripture today and take note of how Jesus finishes this debate with the Sadducees. Jesus says in the passage about the burning bush, when he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. He isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus isn't just providing scriptural proof to the Sadducees that they've got this whole riddle wrong, that there truly is a resurrection. But he's saying all this is because this life matters. This life is important. 
Our heavenly vision of the way life will be when God is in total control is the way we should start living now, even though God doesn't dictate everything that goes on. The Sadducees got it so backwards. Since for them there is no heaven, they thought they could just live their lives for themselves. But Jesus' way is just the opposite. So we should be letting go of the things of this earth and focusing on things that will last for eternity because someday there will be that refining fire that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 3. We should be working for peace instead of war because someday God will beat swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks as the prophet Isaiah speaks. Our love and concern should reach beyond our borders because one day all the nations will bow down and worship the Lord as it says in the 86th Psalm. And we need to love all people with no exceptions because in heaven there will be a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language that you'll also find in the book of Revelation. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And we should start living right now, here on earth, the way it is in heaven. Isn't that what we pray every week? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's not be like those Sadducees. who are only living for themselves with no hope for a better life to come. Let's deepen our vision of heaven and the hope it provides. Let's practice the life now on earth as it's going to be someday in heaven. And finally, let's not be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this vision of heaven. And may it be our hope every day in our life. May it be our inspiration, our encouragement to take those risks that we need to be those special people in this world, to live to that reality because we know someday this is the way it's going to be. This is our hope and prayer in the name of Christ, who is our Lord and the author of our salvation. Amen. personally invite you to come to the Martin Luther King Jr. celebration. It's going to be held at Noblesville First in our celebration hall this coming Monday, January 17th at 7 p.m. We are encouraging you to wear masks. As a matter of fact, we're asking you to wear masks just to keep everybody safe. But we think the crowd will be a number that we can easily spread out, so hopefully we'll keep the transmission spread uh, to a minimum. We have a lot planned. We have a great speaker, Kara Herring, who's Governor Holcomb's appointed person. She's the chief officer for diversity, equity, and opportunity for the state of Indiana. So she's going to bring a great perspective. She uh, last worked for Notre Dame University and has a lot, lot to share with us about the dreams she has for the state of Indiana. We also have Mary Jensen that will introduce her and share some comments. We have our Indiana Senior Senator Todd Young, who's coming, will share some comments. Uh, our own United Methodist Bishop uh, Julius Trimble will be here as well. And our music will be a choir ensemble organized by Dr. Jeff Wright and the Noblesville West Middle School uh, Choir. So come early because we have some art projects that were organized 
by the North Elementary art teacher, Lisa Fritz, and then you'll hear a presentation by the Noblesville High School students regarding the new mural, We Are Human. I'm Norman Williams. I'm a member of Noblesville First United Methodist. I kind of got involved with the MLK program with Pastor Jerry, and I had some conversations about five years ago. And you know, I've always kind of, I come from a family that's been very active in civil rights and in social justice. Uh, my grandmother actually took a social justice class that was um, taught by John Lewis. Um, I've been working with the Noblesville Diversity Coalition. Uh, I've been part of the MLK planning committee every year, just trying to do whatever I can to, to be part of making some of the changes that we want to see as far as civil rights and social justice around. For the MLK program, putting together um, something that's a, an adaptation of excerpts of Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Hope to see everyone there. I think it's going to be, be a very powerful and moving experience. forward to see you this coming Monday at 7 p.m. here in Celebration Hall. I have several announcements to mention. I feel like I got a little show and tell here. <laughs> I share with, share with you first a, a little painting that was put together by uh, clients at Janus Developmental Services and then thanking us for all we did, especially uh, in conjunction with the Christmas concert that was put on by our choir and orchestra and just the appreciative financial support that we've given them all throughout this year. And so we'll hang this up somewhere in the office. Also, last Sunday I showed this to you and celebrated that we were really close to meeting our goal of $425,000. Well, it so happened we had a few more post-dated checks that popped in the office this past week, and so we broke past our goal and ended up with $428,765. So thank you for your generosity. Great job. We also, if you have children or grandchildren, please be sure to bring them back to the church this evening from 5.30 to 8.30 for Outside In. Got a lot of outdoor games, and, and we're even going to have pickleball offered. So and don't ask if I had anything to do with that. Okay. We already talked about the MLK Day, so please uh, plan to be here at 7 o'clock and come a little bit early for those collaborative art projects. We've got a great program plan, I think. Appreciate it. And we're going to do our best to keep people spread out. Also, we have our blood drive coming up Monday, January 24th. And if you're paying attention, you'll know that they're in desperate need of blood right now. So if you're able to give, please make an appointment. You'll find that link to schedule that appointment on our graphic on the webpage. And as always, the best way to keep up with what's going on here, uh, what's coming on in the upcoming week and down the road is the next steps. And that shares how you can get involved and stay connected there. And please be sure if you happen to be new, whether online or in person, to touch base with Pam Kaplinger. Uh, her email's there listed, or you can call at any time, and uh, they'll be sure to get you connected with Pam. And she'll show you how to get better connected with our church family and the places that you can best serve. I invite you to pull out your connection card. If you're online, go to that Next Steps graphic. You'll find a place in the back to share a prayer request and also places that you can serve. We need some help with donut runners. We need help with the hospitality team. Also, divorce care is about ready to, to start once again. And uh, also, we got our prayer buddy ministry that Bonnie is, is uh, inspired us with. Uh, if you go into her office, if you've ever seen that Star Trek episode, Trouble with Tribbles, 
That's what her office looks like right now. And please be sure to uh, fill that out, put it in the offering plate, or go online and use the next steps to register your attendance. Let's pause as we ask for God's blessing upon the tithes and offerings that we offer now in God's name. Lord, we're so grateful for all that you do. We've been reminded that because of our gift of eternal life, we need to start living for eternity, which means not hanging on to everything we have, but letting go and realize that we're just a steward of what you've given to us already in this life. So please help us to be wise in the sharing of those things. Help us to offer not just our financial resources, but our time, our energy, who we are for your work in this world. Please collect all these things and focus them, multiply them in the name of Christ as our Lord. Amen. Good morning. 
This morning we'd like to share some prayer concerns with you, uh, but also we'd like to share that these beautiful flowers right here are from Nan Watson's funeral. Her husband, Ed, wanted the church to have them for today's service, so thank you, Ed. We share concerns in that we join Jane Myers in prayers for her husband, Ron, who is in Riverview Hospital with COVID pneumonia. Ron is on our Teeter Operations Board and a longtime member of our church. We pray for students and teachers now also facing school closures due to teacher shortages and student absences due to illness. And for all businesses that cannot find employees to hire to keep their stores or their shops open. Please pray for all hospitals, caregivers, and patients, including Riverview Hospital, also experiencing staff shortages and being overwhelmed with COVID cases. Let's pray for an end to this dreaded disease and for comfort and strength to all who suffer because of it. We also pray for safety and warmth for everyone impacted by snowstorm Izzy this weekend. Even in these difficult times, we celebrate joys and remember that there is a light that cannot be extinguished by these storms. His name is Jesus, and we are joyful in this promise. Please share your prayer concerns using the website link to prayer requests or use your Noblesville First app where the prayer request form is also available. And you can contact your pastoral care team for upcoming surgeries or pastoral needs at care at noblesvillefirst.com or the 24-7 care line at 
Please join me in a call to prayer. God of light and life, as the new year unfolds before us, we begin to feel the sunlight coming back to brighten the winter. Our spirits grow stronger in the light. You shine your light into our lives to strengthen us for whatever this year may hold. We praise you for your light, which transforms our lives, and pray that you will shine through us so that we can bring the light of Jesus to this world you love. Amen. Now please join us in silent prayer and talk to God what's on your heart. And then we'll follow with a pastoral prayer and then say the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus and by most Holy Spirit, once again, Lord, we feel like we've been thrown into great uncertainty. Just when we think we see the light at the end of the tunnel through all this COVID and sickness or other worrisome personal circumstance, the darkness rears its ugly head again and sets us back. Or does it, Lord? Maybe the darkness is always around us, Jesus, but we fail to look for the light, for your light, Jesus. Forgive us, God, but sometimes in our struggles and frustration, we can't hear you or seek you or feel your presence. We forget about you, our mighty ally. But you are always here. You never leave us. Ready to comfort. Ready to listen. Ready to help us journey through the battles, whatever they may be. God, we love you. Your patience with us is beyond our comprehension. Yet we continue to be graced by your amazing love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our advocate and our friend. And thank you also for the prayer that you taught us long ago, and we say together now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
For those watching at home online, we want to just warn you that you may see some acts of violence now. <laughs> but it's all for a good cause as we celebrate our s- snowballs of hope. And we've got the children, bring them up, come up from downstairs. And people collected socks, gloves, hats. They wad them up, and they're going to bombard the pastors here. You sure you don't want your robe on, Jill, for a little extra protection? You want to borrow mine? <laughs> All right, well, come up here. Looks like dead center is the best spot for you guys, right? Hey, I, and that's close enough, right there. <laughs> And those adults, if you got socks ready, go ahead and find your spot. And bombs away. <laughs> if you can catch them, you can throw them back. <laughs> Oh, we got a good arm right here. <laughs> they just keep coming. guy's got a career in baseball eventually, let me tell you. <laughs> All right, thank you. Let us stand and close our service as <laughs> we see your last year.
Let us go forth, always with the promise of heaven, encourage us, give us the hope we need to be the people God's called us to be in this life. Amen.